Hello, lady. Hello, gals and geckos. It's another episode of Oral Gex, uh, your number one Gex fan cast. I'm Izzy Kestrel. And I'm Amelia Laserwalker. Uh, today, once again, for I guess the fifth time, sixth time now, we're going to talk about Gex. Uh, this is going to be our last episode about the 1995 smash hit, one million copies sold, 3DO video game, Gex. And after this, we're going to, well, we'll talk a little bit more about our plans for the future uh, episodes of the podcast at the end of the podcast, but just a heads up due to some vacation that I am taking soon. We're not going to jump right into Gex enter the gecko, despite my extreme excitement to do so. We, we know you are all itching to enter the gecko. Everyone, everyone is very excited to enter the gecko. Unfortunately, you have to wait a little bit longer, at least to uh, listen to us while you're entering the gecko. You can do it on your own time of your own volition. That's fine. Just make sure it's consensual. It will be because Gex is always down. But uh, I'm I'm disappointed for my own selfish reasons because I love this game. I watched it was my birthday this past weekend, or I celebrated my my birthday this past weekend, and I put uh, Gex to enter the Gecko uh, a long play on the TV screen while I played uh, various other music over top of it. It was a great vibe. I really enjoyed it. I do feel like I need to go back and record my own long play with all of the Gex 2 background music turned off because I did miss uh, Gex's voice lines also popping up over, you know, my Kendrick Lamar playing. I think that would really added to both Kendrick's art and also Gex's art. So I think, I think you should have just hired Dana Gould to play her birthday party. That also, if that was on the table, we've discussed this before. I believe uh, Dana Gould is not on Fiverr, not in on any platforms on which that I could uh, sort of pay him easily for his services. I think it would be probably have to talk to an agent, probably have to deal with booking stuff. You know, I, I, I think Cameo is the service you're thinking of, but I'm really enjoying imagining <laughs> a celebrity just being on Fiverr. Uh yeah, I was thinking about cameo. Fiverr is like kind of just the you know any any random task, right? Yeah. Well, you know, maybe you want Dana Gold to deliver your your uh, Taco Bell or whatever. That'd be fine too. But you got to pay more than five bucks to get him deliver it while saying Gex lines, though. So yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna hold off on Enter the Gecko for a little bit. We are going to plan uh be a, a special promotion stream of a 3do game another 3do game that is close to my heart if we can organize that next week we will figure that out more details come on that make sure you're following us at oral gex pod on twitter to to keep updated with that yes that will be the definitive location to find that that when that stream is starting uh all of that good stuff and then also we've uh mentioned last time we alluded to last time this kind of mini series about other mascots that are not gex so ideally for the next couple of weeks that I'm going to be out, we'll, we'll probably release some of these mascot episodes if we can get them recorded and edited in time. If not, we might just have a little short hiatus. So apologies if you are relying on oral Gex, your, your fix of oral Gex every week. There might be a, a small break in that, but hopefully we can make sure that you are still getting all the Gex that you need. 
So uh, let's talk about, let's continue to talk about Gex, specifically the 1995 video game that sold 1 million copies. Uh, this will be the last time, mercifully. Uh, Amelia, before we start, do you just want to like, what is, what is your feelings about this game? Did you enjoy your experience on balance or do you kind of loathe this game by the end of it? I think both of those can be true. Like, I think we have now spent, this is episode five of us playing through Gex, which means we have spent, we have four hours of content on the record talking about Gex 1. And I think we have already pretty clearly got, processed these com- complex emotions of, there is a lot that this game did that is good design and is interesting and was legitimately groundbreaking for 1995. It is also not a good game and I never want to touch it again. Yeah, uh, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, I I do think that there is a certain level of there's nostalgia at play, uh, maybe a little Stockholm syndrome, just as as was the way back in the 90s where, you know, you're a child, you're a 90s kid. uh, You've got like a limited selection of games, like maybe you can go to your blockbuster and rent something new for a weekend. But for the most part, you're kind of stuck with whatever trash. Sorry, that feels too harsh. Gex is not trash. Uh, you're kind of stuck with whatever you know games you you picked up along with your console that cost 800 US dollars on launch, and you know you just kind of got to make do. You just kind of got to you spend a lot of time with this thing that maybe isn't ideal, but we weren't as spoiled for choice back in the day. So, and I, I will say for that play pattern, one thing that is unfortunate is. I think Graveyard World is one of the least interesting worlds in terms of what the level designs are trying to do. Um, and so I think for that like play pattern of, of kids renting the game, getting as far as they can in three days, and maybe writing down a password, but probably losing them, like it doesn't do the game any favors that it, it starts out comparatively weak. Like I don't think any of the resources we're going to be talking about today talk about the ordering of the worlds, but I would be curious to hear about that. Yeah, uh, I guess a sidebar note, I think, yeah, actually, let's let's jump right into the discussion of the, the retrospective article from Greg Tavares. I remember in that article, I think he discusses kind of the, the flow of the game. And I think for more or less, the worlds were kind of developed in the order that we play them in. So they started with Graveyard World, they kind of went on to, you know, Cartoon Land, stuff like that. I believe it notes in there that the Planet X levels actually that was all going to be cut content. I think they actually like the, the head people at Crystal Dynamics or some people in power did not like the sci-fi aesthetics. They didn't think it was really coming together very well. They're kind of like, ah, you should just scrap all that. And I think that they just kind of put that stuff in there as a secret unlockable thing. It's sort of an act of rebellion yeah. almost. Well, well, so what's actually really interesting is it's not like they designed all of these levels and then it was cut. I think it's pretty early the art assets were cut and they were like, no, we don't want this to be a world. And they literally like hired some interns to design the levels. Yeah. And it definitely feels that way. Sometimes these levels have interesting gimmicks, but they do feel even more than the, the kind of mainline levels. They do feel like gimmicks personified, right? They feel like you, you have like clothesline. We discussed last time where it's kind of like the, the be the beams coming at you in sort of a 3d view. And it is literally just the beams flying at you through this auto scroller. That is the entirety of the level. And I don't think the collisions even work properly on the beams. Gex can just kind of stand in place and just kind of sleepwalk through the sleep stand through the entire level. Yeah. 
So there is a lot to dissect in this article. And once again, as always, we will have a link to this article in uh, the show notes. But this is from... Oh, and actually, sorry, as, as a quick piece of forgot, I was, I was incorrect. I don't want to slander these, these poor people. The designers and people who worked on Planet X were not interns. The, except the designer, the designer was a new grad. And one of the one of the scripters also wanted to help out with level design. So I think sort of like emotionally, yes, these these are sort of more junior designers than perhaps design the rest of the levels of the game, but not technically interns. Uh, thank you for the correction. So this is from gregman.com. That's Greg with I was gonna say two G's. It's Greg with three G's. Two G's at the end. Greg Gman.com. This is this article is dated uh 1997, which is incredible. This is April 3rd, 1997. It's just, it's stunning to me that stuff like this still exists there and that that's not like in the archive or something that's like, this is still just hosted. He still just has his article uh, on his website. It's pretty incredible. But you can read the whole article in the show notes. I really encourage you to do so because it is really, there's a lot of insight here that we probably, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. We probably just don't have the time to really, really deep dive into everything. There's so much we want to cover in this last episode for, Last episode of this first game, but I do want to note the the article kind of sets the tone right away by saying Gex was one of those projects from hell. So, Amelia, I know you have some thoughts about this article, I think, from the beginning pieces. Do you want to kind of talk about that right away? Yeah. One of, one of the first things that I want to dive into is there is there is a moment where they talk about. Um, yeah. OK, so like by winter 1995, so they're they're pushing on what was supposed to be the release. It's clear that they still have to keep going and they keep have to keep crunching. And ex- the exact quote in the article is the lead designer had basically tuned out and was only working 10 to 6 while the rest of the team worked 12 to 16 hour days. And there is also a story about sort of like a, a power struggle basically around the fact that the lead level designer or the lead designer wasn't coming in on weekends and everyone else was and people sort of changing his work over the weekend because he wasn't there. And I think this is a, a wild look into crunch culture and the video game industry in the nineties <laughs> that working eight hour days is enough to qualify you as basically tuned out. I don't know when a lot of this research came out, but we have pretty hard research working more than 40 hours a week costs you more in productivity. Like there are, there are times you can maybe talk about like, if this is a, if this is a focused crunch to meet a very specific deadline, you are going to need more time than you think you do to recover after. But maybe in some cases when everyone consents, maybe that is a reasonable choice, but for a death March for an entire game, not only is this needlessly cruel to the people working on it, it is also not an effective way to work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it it does seem like a death march for the entire game too. There there are notes in here about yeah. kind of running the numbers of like when this game is due. It was September 93, the company wanted a game done by 94, June 94. You know, there's a bunch of number crunching here and they're just like, yeah, this is this is never out the gate. This was not going to work out. So, yeah, last last paragraph of this, he describes it as 21 months of hell. <laughs> Yeah, another interesting part about this, I, I want to note here because I did play both Crash and Burn and Total Eclipse uh, as a kid. The first two games that Crystal Dynamics shipped, and he makes a note here that they they had less of an art burden, right? Because these are very, they're kind of like they have like a low poly vibe a little bit. Total Eclipse is like a very like there's like terrain, but it's just like dirt and like spaceships. It's like very like 
retro Star Foxy sort of vibes. Yeah. And so you could really kind of reuse assets and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But what they really wanted for Gex was this needs to be 32-bit Sonic and it needs to be stunning and it needs to be graphically intense and like really unique in all the areas and like very cartoony. And that that is a, a much bigger um, uh, burden on the art team than one of those first two games. Yeah, and like he talks through some interesting math of like just how many more pixels there are compared to a 16-bit game and how much that increases the the art burden. And like it's it's really interesting to hear him describe just how much more work it is to go higher res. Like I don't have a lot of experience with working at different fidelities of pixel art, so all I can do is nod and and, and trust him. <laughs> um, but that was really interesting. Yeah. So okay, so there's a lot there's a lot here we could like really deep dive into all this, but I think the main things we want to talk about are the crunch. Uh, anything else you want to point out from? Well, okay, I guess we should probably talk about the the bit about sort of the I guess harassment is probably the right word for it. <laughs> so. There is there's a, a a character arc, I feel like, to this article where I'm kind of reading it and I'm like reading the stuff about the, the lead designer and I'm like, oh, that's like really that's really shitty that they're like, uh, oh, the lead designer was tuned out and like wasn't working enough. And then we were like redoing all of his work on the weekends. And then um, one day he comes in on, on the weekend unexpectedly and uh, he gets very frustrated because they were editing his levels and you know up until this point i feel like he's like oh the the lead designer i i feel so bad for him like having having this experience and then uh it kind of goes into him running into his office and adding one of these like little question mark objects right that that we've kind of seen in the game where you can hit them and then it'll give you a little little text prompt and he hid some secret messages in in the game uh, one of them is, uh, okay, let me, let me just read this quote here. Didn't you think this level had some cool shit in it? This level is cut because the company didn't want, didn't put you the customer first, but just wanted to make money. And then it says, call a person's number and, uh, give her a piece of your mind and my mind too, which, um, play test, play testers luckily found that bless, bless the play testers, bless, bless QA for, for finding stuff like this and they fired this guy yeah we're we're used to player toxicity a good reminder that devs can be toxic too yeah so um that's a bummer and uh and then he goes on to mention greg goes on to mention that uh the company after seeing this happen the company's like well what's all the other stuff you hid in this game because we need to know about it and they showed him the 18 minute ending that we discussed last time. And they were like, oh, this whips. <laughs> Keep this in. Um, so bless Stay on time, baby. Bless Panasonic for um for keeping for keeping that 18 minute just absolute banger of ending. I think it is he, when he sort of wraps up talking about his 21 months of hell, he he does talk about it. Most of the people on the team who worked on it were not happy with the game as well, which also like I think makes me like I, th- I think our critique has been balanced and nuanced and we're very careful to point out the things we do like about the game, but it is a reassurance to be like, Oh yeah. The people who ship this know the thing they shipped was not the thing they wanted yeah. to ship. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Okay. So 
uh, again, I'll put this uh, link in the show notes. Please, please go read the whole thing because it's really interesting. Let's just really quickly touch at the prototype. So this, once again, the link will be in the show notes. This is, I'm pulling this from the the cutting room floor uh, website. Not a ton to talk about here. Kind of the main things I wanted to point out is the inclusion in the in the alpha and then exclusion later of the uh quote unquote gex ray which is it appears to be just like some nasty ui of the inside of gex's body it's just like his guts and i guess at one point in this game's development they had the idea that you could when you eat the the various insects in the game they would be sort of stored inside of of gex's uh stomach and just kind of hang out in there and you could select them from like a pause menu so so also incredibly notably if gex's sprite is rotated so like if he's hanging upside down on a wall his stomach in the pause menu yeah, is so rotated appropriately an incredible detail i mean they, they 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 have to show off the 3do's advanced sprite rotation functionality yeah it's a 32 bit game they certainly do unfortunately in the in the the prototype if you uh, try to open it in the middle of a p- uh, tail bounce and try to exit the Gex Ray. It will uh, it will crash. So you give Gex a little tummy ache and then he he doesn't want to play anymore. That is the main thing I want to talk about. I just love I love this image of uh, the link directly to it because it is it's just just wild. Uh, the most like visually like, oh, this is the thing that wasn't in the, the full version. Everything else here, you can kind of see like these are just slight variations of like fonts and like other things that they're not that dramatically different but the gex ray is oh it's special one thing that is worth calling out is there's no audio in this demo which comes back to if we go back to the the post-mortem article um in the comments i believe like someone asks where the idea of having dana gould tell tell jokes came up and greg replied and was like i don't remember whose idea it was but like so someone had the idea that the Gex should make random jokes and then they went to hire someone. And it sounds like there was a marketing person who potentially suggested Dana Gould. And I don't think the team was particularly into it. And the original idea, right, this is the gold. This is the gold part. The original idea was that anytime Gex was wisecracking, the camera would zoom in on his face. Yes. Which is like such like, this sounds like something that would come up in, in brainstorming and then like, you would hopefully just quietly drop it. And the fact that it sounds like this was like seriously considered is extremely funny. <laughs> just, just incredible. Uh, I can't imagine this game. Gex, I want to, I want to say again, like uh, Dana's performance is, is wonderful in this game. Uh, it's really, I think the reason that this game works, the reason that this game makes an impression is because Gex has voice acting and because he has these little quips that people remember. I've mentioned before, like the little Scooby-Doo line, burned into my brain like they're they stick in a way that that i don't think any other part of this game really sticks for me and that is notable for the time i think it's part of his enduring legacy obviously they double down on that in the later games he continues having voice he continues being you know a character in that way but there are plenty of mascot platformers which we will probably talk about from this era that didn't make an impression and you can make arguments like oh he didn't quite turn out to be like crystal dynamics sonic uh he was not a competitor in that space but i do i do think of him in like a kind of a at least a a couple rungs below a mario or a sonic versus being like 
uh, a wild woody. I do think it's really fascinating that they didn't have the quipping in this early version of it, because at some point we're going to, I need to figure out when the right time to talk about this is. Maybe this could be next week's episode, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, we do need to talk about Gax Jr., which uh, was a prototype that leaked um, actually, I think this year, earlier this year. And kind of the main thing that I picked up on when I when I tried out this prototype is that it was it's definitely not finished. It's a very unfinished game, but there is voice act- acting in it. That was like something that I think maybe they had like someone on the development team do it, but they understood that something that is so critical to, to Gex as a successful property is that he has to talk. Yeah. And like, they can't even try to shop this out to, they can't even like show the higher ups to be like, Oh, we're working on this thing. What do you think without having that core? Like he's got to say like five things at least, which makes sense after having made three of these games potentially five if you count the Game Boy Color games as different from the 3D ones, which will be a discussion we'll have once we actually yes. play them. And I I do. And uh, those regrettably do not have voice acting in them. So that is, <sighs> yeah. <sighs> anyway. Has anyone seen Fox Mulder's sister? So this is another uh, Gex file segment. Uh, in which I discuss my conspiracy theories about Gex, my my head cannons, uh, the things that other Gex fans just don't want to talk about because they're too controversial. But I go there. Is Kestrel banned from the Gex Discord for talking about forbidden subjects? Yeah. I <laughs> I do have a friend who was banned for the Tamagotchi forms for like a thousand years or something, which is very funny. Let's talk about Rez. And let's talk about him possibly being Gex's dad, because this is something that we discussed in our first episode, I think, talking about the manual, the kind of the background, the lore of the game. But we discussed in our last episode, there isn't really a whole lot of characterization for Rez in general, much less his relationship to Gex. Uh, But (laughs) there were some uh, little gems from... Rez's page on the Gex wiki that I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about these last week, but we just had so much to talk about about the game content that had to unfortunately push it back a little bit. But now, this is the time to talk about Liquid Rez, which I would like to just kind of read this blurb out from the Gex wiki. Throughout the series, Liquid Noise is seen all around Rezopolis. The game manuals and the Deep Cover Gecko novelization describe it as the very essence of Rez. Now, Amelia, I don't know how you feel about that sentence, but I interpret that as liquid Rez is Rez's jizz. I think it's I think it's TV static robot jizz. I I don't think I can propose a coherent alternative. Yeah, it's, you know, we're maybe making like a little bit of a leap. It doesn't literally say that, but it also doesn't say that. So that's my headcanon. That's kind of what the segment is about anyway. So just setting that piece up that all around the game and kind of like as we played this game, we spent a good five hours playing this game in every level. There is a ton of TV static, just kind of cracks in the walls. You see TV static kind of flowing around like water really kind of grossly recontextualizes all of that stuff when Gex is like 
zooming into portals of TV static and all that makes me very uncomfortable now. Well, also, also metatextually, does that mean that, and not that this happens very much in, in the year 2022, but if you are looking at a CRT TV screen with rabbit ears and you are looking at static, are you the human being in our world looking, looking at Rez's essence? Yes, definitively. Yes. That's a call that I'm going to make right now until, until we get one of these coward developers on the show to explain themselves and to tell me I'm wrong. We're the number one Gex fan cast. I think we're, I think at this point we've talked more about Gex in recorded history. As far as I know, we make the lore now. I feel like I've, I've, is he, is, is he, is he sitting behind the desk in the change my mind? Yes. With a big banner that says all TV static is, is residues. I am going to make that graphic as soon as we're done with this, this recording. So, so that is thing one, right? And, and notably on this wiki page, uh, Gex's father, there's a header about Ge- Rez being Gex's father. There's a separate header about liquid Rez. These two concepts are not connected in the, the fan canon, the fanon, if you will. But I think they are very connected. I think they are very closely connected. We establish in the, in the lore canonically that Gex's dad died when he worked for NASA and his rocket blew up. And then Gex uh, kind of to deal with the trauma, he goes and, and watches a bunch of TV. Now, kind of looking ahead to enter the gecko at the end of the second Gex game, slight spoiler, jump ahead 10 seconds if you don't want to be spoiled. Uh, Rez says that he is Gex's father. Now, Gex doesn't believe it, you know, obviously. Also could be a, a Star Wars reference. Who knows? But then Rez, dis- Rez discusses, uh, Rez-, Rez explains about his cable-stealing mishap. And the thing that I'm kind of pulling, the threads that I'm pulling together here, we've got this cable-stealing mishap. We've got Liquid Rez. When Gex's real father, Gex's quote-unquote real father, tried to steal cable and got, I don't know, zapped by the electrical lines or something, did some of Rez's DNA, maybe Rez is a separate person, did some of Rez's DNA get into Gex's father? And so Gex is, blood by blood, TV static, whatever, by some sort of mythical fluid related to Rez. That is what I'm proposing right now. Amelia, how do you feel about that? I think you are suggesting something that is neither proven nor disproven by the literature. And I think that's all we could really ask for, right? Because once again, who's going to tell me no? No one. Unless you want to come on the podcast and say no, which you're welcome. You're welcome to do that. Or, or if you if you work for Embracer Group and are so morally outraged by what you're hearing, Make a new Gex. Make canon that contradicts this. Yes, yes. You know what? That is the thing. Is uh, we're working with what we got right now. This is as as good as we get at this point. This is as much as information as that we have to to work with. If you want to set the record straight, make a new Gex. Make Gex four. Canonize. Do a prequel and explain that. You know, show show Gex's live birth on on screen so we can see it happen and know for fact what is happening and what has happened, please. That is Gex Files. Thank you. In closing, Rez is Gex's dad.
And also all TV static is his jizz. Which makes it much grosser that if, if Gex is, is running around and in Rezopolis actively attacked by sentient moving static. Every time he tail whips an enemy, it turns into jizz. All right, let's talk. Let's talk about some concept, concept, art. concept art from the secret ending of Gex, the 1995 smash hit, 1 million copies sold, 3D video game. I can't wait to stop talking about it after this episode. I'm so excited. So to review, last episode, we talked about the secret ending, which uh, kind of uplifts and then berates the player for about, you know, four or five minutes. And then we go into this next segment of concept art that is included in the game, kind of, you know, not in a way that is really very legible. It's not a way that you can really interact with it in the way that you'd want to in a video game, right? Uh, I know newer video games think about like, a Soul Calibur, like some more recent fighting games, they usually include concept art or even like the really amazing digital clips like um, Mega Man Collection, things like that. They have really great uh, sort of museum modes where you can look at different pieces of art and kind of zoom in on it and like have very HD views and kind of scan around and really take all the details in. These are just static images compressed into a video file, which is not ideal. Yeah, and which, and which I will say is given given what we know about the development of the secret ending, this was a labor of love thrown together as quickly as possible. So I think we can just appreciate what we have rather than wishing like they they had had like an archivist on staff, which they even even if the, the game's production had been less fraught, like that would not have been a thing in 1995. Yeah, it's not really a thing now, unfortunately, either. But yeah, so I just want to talk about some specific sort of imagery from this concept art segment that really jumped out at me. These are broken up into different headers. And uh, thankfully, the the YouTube video that has the whole secret ending concept art and then actual credits all kind of smashed together. It, there are links that you can jump to the different segments with their really excellent PowerPoint word art kind of vibes uh, breaking them up. But the first segment we have is Gex Ideas. And um, there's just kind of like some really basic, just kind of like, here's Gex, here's what he looks like. Uh, I do love that there are a number of uh, panels here of Gex just getting owned by different uh, <laughs> different creatures. There's like a bird chasing him. There's like some vines like grabbing his leg. There's a, a big wasp kind of chasing him down. And then there's one of him just getting strangled by a snake. <laughs> They're all like a little gruesome. This is all. This is this is this is all just your kink. Yeah, apparently, I'm I'm learning some things about myself from this. Yeah. Uh, anything jump out to you in the segment, Amelia? Not really. I mean, I, I I take that back. This plus the section surrounding this were just a lot of insects. Yes, like a lot of the early art for concepts for enemies or other characters are like the images I'm looking at now. There's like a bird and a snake, but a lot of the things they had drawings of were just other kinds of insects. And so it's interesting watching the development from presumably that was early, much earlier on that it was sort of more insects and, and gecko scale focused before they pulled back to like TV genre, which actually that does come back to something in the, in Greg's article we didn't talk about, which is, I think we'd previously mentioned like the original concept for Gex, which he's a stuntman mm-hmm. and he's, and he's running around different Hollywood film sets and the, reason he gave for moving away from that sort of theming of like you're on a Hollywood set is quote unquote, you can't make any game play structure you want and still have it make sense. 
For example, you can't have floating platforms in the sky in the Western style town because, well, things don't fly in the sky in the Old West. If on the other hand, you choose a make-believer fantasy theme, you can justify any structure you want because, well, it's fantasy. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's how video games work, especially like in the 2D era when there was that much more like abstraction and because resources were more constrained, people were much more willing to dislike except this is how platformers work. Like I can point to Western themed platformers on the Super Nintendo that really didn't care about just throwing platforms in the middle of the sky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think that Gecko X, as they, as they call it, this uh, sort of stuntman themed game, it would have been a different game. Who could really say if it would be a, a worse one or a better one? I do think that like mechanically, there is... There, there is a game called Stuntman. Have you played Stuntman, Amelia? I have not. It's, it is, it is basically this concept. It is this concept brought to reality. It is a PS2 game, I believe, that is in 3D, um, and it's a racing game in which you kind of do, you know, you're doing these kind of movie set things and and sort of doing these stunts and then getting paid for them. And I think there's an interesting design space there. Uh, that would have been fun to explore in this era of video games rather than being like a full 3D kind of racing game that will also, if they did make it a 3D game, maybe it would have, maybe it would have lended itself a little bit more to, to that studio's strengths where they already made Crash and Burn and, you know, things yeah. of that ilk. I mean, it, it also just feels like this is a, that is a style of game that wanted to be 3D, both in terms of the sorts of actions you can perform and the production values. Yeah. And I think like, I think it was wise of them, like not even like I've not having played Crash and Burn. I assume it is sort of like mode seven adjacent. Is that accurate? Yeah. So it yeah. is like 2D sprites in a simulation of a 3D world. Yeah. Like I think a ver I think you could make a version of that with that style of 3D, but that sort of game really would want to be full 3D. So I think it is fine that they didn't attempt that in 1994. Yeah. And also the 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 stunt driving game, stunt whatever kind of game and the gecko mascot platformer, those feel like two separate concepts, right? <laughs> they feel like you could make one of those, but if you mash them together, then one of the one of them gets watered down in the process. Which is also really funny to think about how that concept existed before the concept of Gex as like a wisecracking comedian. Because to me, like the unifying a unifying concept there would be like Gex as the wisecracking stuntman and like that personality, which presumably wasn't present or even if it was present and there's that earlier prototyping and ideation like it wasn't present to the point that they realized oh we should hire a voice actor <laughs> yeah well i feel like even the 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 idea of being a stuntman is that you are not like an actor right you're not part of the main cast you're not really yeah. doing any voice work or lines so i think that's part of it too is they were just like oh it's just going to be like a person on the set but again why is it interesting that he's a gecko at that point? And it, is there like a famous stuntman named something, something X or is it, is this like a name is the name of pun on something? Cause like gecko X doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. Ditto. No idea. I'll have to look into that. But the, the fact that I, I believe my understanding is that we got the name Gex just from smashing that together and just saying Ge it's gecko X. Now he's just Gex and that is his name. And that is, wild that that's how we got this timeless timeless character name it is also extremely 90s yeah 
So next we have Gex uh, character sheets. And the one I wanted to point out here is the you too can draw a gecko uh, sort of cover. It looks like a mock-up of like a like a, a book that teaches you how to draw a, a gecko. And I actually I own a, a physical copy of the How to Draw Gex uh, book. So I I like this kind of like called shot. I don't know if they ever like thought about like oh man it'd be cool someday it was like you know, how to draw Mario, how to draw Sonic. They have one of those books, but I, they literally made that at some point in the future, which is pretty, is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and then otherwise in Gex character sheets, it's kind of just like more of what you expect. Original intro ideas. We were kind of skipping over like a lot of panels of like, you know, the, the intro stuff that ships some storyboards, things like that. Those are all very cool. But in this original intro idea section, they show some, imagery that it's very notable for not being you know what was shipped in the final game also not seemingly anything to do with the the stunt gecko x kind of stuff either this is, seems like a totally different train of thought that they had yeah there's like there's like an island there are some demons flying in with wings and like i want to call them bidents because they look like tridents but they only have two prongs <laughs> Yeah, just oh, in, incredible! Like this is definitely something I have to like. I again, uh, I said this last time, but like I really want some nicer, higher res versions of these images, and I, I don't know how to how to get a hold of them. Higher res, and versions. just like last time, Amelia's going to make the same damn joke. Look, I, I I'm I'm just mimicking my my comic idol Gex. <sighs> anyway, this segment of this original intro idea. Basically, we've got this like island paradise. We've got all the geckos running. There are, there are a lot of geckos. Gex is not the only one on the scene this time. They're kind of like playing in the backyard. Mama geckos like hanging out some clothes. They're they're living on this island under like a giant dome for some reason. Well, Mama gecko is hanging up clothes while while Papa gecko is like reading a newspaper. So I'm glad glad to know they're they're recreating heteronormative gender stereotypes in gecko yeah. lands. I'm glad. I'm glad for that. That's uh, and and, and, we, and we and we can tell that gender is intended because the the mama gex is wearing like a dress with like a plunging neckline. Oh yeah. Yep. I I am so glad that they are representing all the all the gender ideals. These are this is the perfect uh, family lifestyle as far as I'm concerned. Uh, living under this dome, and then like lightning strikes a dome, and like demons break through. And there's just like this horrible, like Netflix Castlevania, like violent display of these demons just ravaging this town and like picking up the geckos and flying away with them. And like, again, we noted in these early images about a lot of the kind of enemies or like the the kind of stuff Gex is dealing with are like birds and bugs and things that, like of his size. But like here we've just got like, just scary, scary hell demons just breaking in and taking all these geckos instead of like being birds or something that you'd expect. And it's very troubling and probably most troubling at all is this final shot. The this kind of intro sequence uh, storyboard leaves you on the shot of we can only assume our hero Gex laying broken, beaten under some rubble 
and he's crying and he's got a big scar on his head and it's it's extremely troubling it's like a very upsetting image for me to look at and uh, yeah i i would really i would really like to have some more insight from some of the folks that worked in these storyboard boards in the beginning to see what was the rest of this game going to look like because this seems like a very different game once again from the game that shipped and also the game that is illustrated uh in greg's article yeah so moving on we've got game ideas and these uh are notable for being like full color sketches they're they're really cute gex has a cute little vest that i appreciate very much he is he is not naked it's a very good little vest also his vibe like he's kind of like looks a little bit more like a, a nickelodeon character or something right he, yeah he's he's like going on a little he's adventure cute. he's like He's got his little he's got his little vest. He's he looks kind of jaunty when he's jumping. One of them has him like riding, riding in like a little like inflatable boat with oars. Like he's just going on a grand, grand little journey. Also, notably, there are humans and human environments and he is gecko size. Yes. Um, like the first of these or one of the first of these images is what looks like it looks like you're on a cruise ship. You can see there are like what looks like railings for a for a cruise boat and like a porthole and like a, a life uh, like a lifesaver. And you see like what looks like there's like a woman who is carrying maybe a blind cane and Gex comes up to maybe like halfway halfway between her ankle and her her knee. <laughs> yeah. And then we have a shot of him kind of running through a kitchen, uh, maybe stepping at some pies. I don't like this image. It's kind of kind of grosses me out a little bit. And, and then he's he's about to land on some knives. Yeah, also very dangerous. Uh, would ro- not recommend that. And uh, then we've got him kind of moving down this little river. And I love this image specifically because it reminds me of a uh, NES game that I used to play. It was Muppets. I'll have to look it up, but it's like a Muppets um, kind of carnival, like selection of carnival mini games. And there is one I believe where you are Kermit. And you are rafting down a river, and I'm getting that vibe very strongly from this image. There is also one of him like jumping near some toadstools, and he's got these cute little gloves on. It looks oh, like oh yeah, his little gloves helping towards that like jaunty adventure vibe. Yeah, his his whole vibe is just very much more like a like something you'd see in in Rockwell's Modern Life. I think there are literally geckos in that show. Actually, now that I think about it, or chameleons, maybe that seems plausible. Um, but. He looks a lot more affable. He looks more like uh, something you would see on a Saturday morning cartoon rather than kind of like the rude dude with Tude that we we see in the final game, which, again, is an interesting kind of, you know, obviously, I can't see this boy talking. I can't see this boy cracking wise. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, even if even if he talks, he is definitely like anime shonen protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Like he is, he is a pure, naive, wholehearted fellow. Yeah, more of a young boy rather than like a grown man. I think Gex, canonical Gex. I don't know how old he is. I don't think there's any uh, there's any material to back up. Yeah, um, his age, but it, it is implied that he is like an adult that owns a house. Yeah, I mean he is he is old enough to get all of his pop culture references. That's true. That's a good point. So that's i think that's about gonna do it for us um one more thing that i wanted to discuss at the end of the episode here is the incredible ending theme music that plays over the credits of this game that we just totally i totally blanked on for last episode we were just so in in the weeds about the 
about the secret ending that we forgot about the actual ending. And uh, as you watch these credits, there is this wildly 90s theme song that plays over. And it's really bad, but also very interesting that they, you know, record the song. And it seems like something that, that very well could have been like in the plans early on that wasn't in, in, like influenced by having Dana come in and do voice acting or any of the actual like vibes about Gex. It is like very, I don't know. There's like a rhyme about him. Like being, is it a T-Rex? No, it's Gex. There, there's nothing of substance in this song. It's just like, it's just rhyming words that sound like Gex and him being like a cool nineties boy. Yeah. I mean, I'm here for that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's going to do it for, for this week's oral Gex. Once again, as always, you can send questions to questions at oralgex.com. You can DM us at oralgexpod on Twitter. I mentioned the top up episode. We are going to likely be doing a little hiatus um, or we're going to ship some mascot episodes with our guest stars in the near future to make up for some of the, the vacation I'm going to be taking. We'll see what happens next week. We'll hopefully have an episode for you. If we don't, at the very least, uh, we're hoping to do a little Twitch stream of uh, a game that is also very near and dear to my heart on the fabled 3DO, Panasonic 3DO interactive multiplayer system called Twisted the Game Show. It is, as it says on the box, it is a game show. It is full FMV. It is very weird, very problematic, but very fun, I think, still uh, 20, 30 years later. So hopefully Amelia and I, and if we can wrangle two, two suckers to play it with us, uh, we'll do a little stream sometime next week to to kind of promote the pod. Yeah, and again, as we said earlier, be sure to follow us at OralGexPod on Twitter if you want to be kept up to date when that will be or anything else to do with the Oral Gex podcast and the wide world of Gex fandom. Also, if you are enjoying the show separate from following us on Twitter, you should rate us and review us anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you listen to other podcasts, you will hear this plea a lot because that is the single best way to make sure that other people listen to the show. So you should do that if you're enjoying the show or if you're not, give us a bad review. Whatever, be honest. Yeah, and with that, we'll be back maybe next week, if not at some point in the future. Great. Shades on a fighting machine. Whipping tail, spitting fire. He's a wizard of the lizard killer gecko for hire.